Hola and welcome to Catholic View. I'm Sheila Pirsch. Thank you so much for joining me this Friday evening. Coming up in today's broadcast, we bring you our feature as we focus on child soldiers. But before that, we begin as usual with some of the stories that made headlines in Africa and beyond. So do stay tuned. This is Archbishop Buti Tlachale of the Catholic Diocese of Johannesburg. You are listening to Radio Veritas, the good news for a change. In your headlines this Friday evening, human trafficking, a growing disgrace, says Pope Francis. We look at Pope Francis Friday's homily, and 2017 looks like another year of fear for children in conflict zones. Good evening once again, I'm Sheila Pirish. We begin with church news. Jesus always turned to prayer at all the key moments in his life. Jesus, who is praying for us, is the cornerstone of our life. Those were the words of Pope Francis during his homily at this Friday morning Mass at Casa Santa Marta. Taking his cue from the Gospel reading, recounting how Jesus spent the night in prayer before choosing his disciples, the Pope's homily reflected on the fundamental importance of prayer for Christians. He said whilst Jesus is the cornerstone of the Church and there is no Church without him, the key to this cornerstone is Jesus who is always praying for us. Pope Francis went on to describe how Jesus always prayed for his followers, be it at the Last Supper or before performing a miracle, such as when he prayed to the Father before raising Lazarus from the dead. The world's youngest country, South Sudan, has seen in recent months the resurgence of a brutal civil war between government troops loyal to President Salva Kiir and opposition forces following former deputy Rick Mashar. The Catholic Archbishop of Juba, Paulino Lukudu Loro, together with the Archbishop and Primate of the Episcopal Church of Sudan, the Reverend Daniel Dengbul, as well as the moderator of the Presbyterian Church of Sudan, the Reverend Peter Haimarau, met with Pope Francis on Thursday. Archbishop Lukudu Loro said all the religious leaders spoke during the papal audience about South Sudan's war, the killings, the refugees and the prevailing war and appealed to the Pope to come and visit their homeland. He said the Pope replied by saying he was close to them in their sufferings and repeated twice that he wanted to visit South Sudan. Seemingly alone, we are getting defeated. Even our word that uh, we are giving to our own people to the government especially, is not being taken care of very, very seriously. And so we thought that from here, the church is not all here. We have still leaders over who should get into our situation so that the Holy Father can also talk to the international community, to the regional community, to help us. Because I think it is not correct that we suffer alone without the international community looking at us, helping us, caring for us, and doing something for us uh, so that they intervene to help us so that we are able to, to manage this situation, to talk to our government. 
and to talk to the international community and to help us with this humanitarian situation that we are so much in need of today. And so we have really come very honestly. It is the Holy Father himself who invited us. And therefore, I think we were very grateful for this. And, uh, and this is really why we have come here. And the Holy Father ex expressed himself so, so willingly. He was really touched. And he said, I want to come to South Sudan. And I will do the best possible so that I can come to South Sudan. That was his final word. He gave us the blessing. And I think that is that. On to international news. According to the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime, UNODC, the fight against human trafficking is increasingly moving center stage as an issue for the international community. The agency says that human trafficking affects every country of the world as countries of origin, transit or destination. And Italy Stajarini reports. UNODC says there are no firm figures for the number of people globally who are victims of human trafficking, although it does disproportionately affect women and children who make up some 80% of those trafficked. Speaking at an event at the UN focusing on the ratification of the Palermo Protocol, an instrument to prevent, suppress and punish traffickers, the executive director of UNODC, Yuri Fedotov, said fighting crimes such as trafficking was critical to meeting new development targets. The focus on crime is no longer on the periphery of building sustainable development. It is moving center stage and it is increasingly being recognized as a significant barrier to the achievement of the Sustainable Development Goals. According to UNODC, sexual exploitation is by far the most commonly identified form of human trafficking, representing 79% of all cases, followed by forced labor. Meanwhile, Pope Francis on Thursday met with members of the Santa Marta Group, an international organization that works to curb human trafficking, and saluted them for an important contribution to combating the social scourge of human trafficking. The Santa Marta Group was established by Pope Francis back in 2014. At a concluding press conference, Cardinal Vincent Nichols of Westminster, one of the founding members of the group and two survivors of human trafficking, spoke of the progress that has been made over the past couple of years. In his words to the group of bishops and religious, police and security officials, Pope Francis described trafficking as one of the major challenges of our time and he praised participants for the important contribution they're making to end this scourge of modern slavery. The numbers of victims, he noted, keeps growing year by year and it's essential both to support victims of trafficking but also to tackle the complex problems that lead to their exploitation. Cardinal Nichols told journalists the group had presented the Pope with a report of positive developments in the 30 countries that are now part of the Santa Marta process. What this report shows is that human slavery and trafficking is not so hidden as it used to be. There is an increasing awareness that this, in the phrase of the Holy Father, is an open wound in the flesh of humanity. And voices that were once completely hidden are now being heard. Those voices include that of Nigerian survivor Princess Inyang, who was trafficked into Italy in 1999 and forced into prostitution until she was able to escape with help from a priest working in the northern city of Asti. She shared her story at the conference and called for deportation of the traffickers, as well as more education and skills training for vulnerable girls in her home country. The women are vulnerable because of the poverty in Nigeria, the background of the family, the polygamy system of the families, 
the non-employment. And now we know that the traffickers have the operators that goes into the rural areas and get uh, these young women. From Africa to Latin America, from Asia to Europe, the US and the Middle East, the conference heard many encouraging stories of success in combating the trade in people for prostitution, forced labour or sale of body parts. But as the report also underlines, there is much frustration too, coupled with a renewed determination to work together more effectively for an end to what Pope Francis himself describes as a crime against humanity. And Karen Abu Zaid, the outgoing special advisor on addressing large movements of refugees and migrants, says humanitarians are taking a closer look at neglected and protected refugee situations, as well as new refugee flows under a globe compact aimed at addressing challenges faced by people on the move. The UNHCR will be taking charge of the, the refugee compact because they're already starting to look at new refugee flows and to look at the protracted refugee situation was extremely important because these have been pretty much neglected for pretty much decades. And so this is very good. And they will be developing in conjunction with the member states, host countries, resending countries. The compact or a provisional compact then will be finalized in 2018. On the migration side, we want to have an intergovernmental conference in 2018. So there are the uh, co-facilitators, as we call them, the people who will be negotiating how to get there have already been chosen, the two countries that will work together. There are countries that have already offered to have a preparatory conference, Mexico, for example. So there are already steps in place, and that will move gradually up until 2018 when the actual compact will be accepted at the intergovernmental conference. Countries adopted the New York Declaration in September to protect and save the lives of refugees and migrants. They have also agreed on the more just sharing of the burden and the responsibility for hosting and supporting the more than 65 million people worldwide who have been displaced from their homes by conflict or persecution. Refugees and migrants are dying at sea each year by the thousand, and people fleeing war on land are being blocked by closed borders. And finally, 2017 is already looking like another year of fear for children caught up in conflict and denied their rights to an education. That's according to the UN Special Envoy for Global Education, Gordon Brown, speaking at the UN headquarters on Thursday. Mr. Gordon Brown pledged to invest 42 billion US dollars in child protection and schooling to help 1.5 million children caught up in conflicts in Syria, Yemen and elsewhere. Matthew Wells has this report. Mr. Brown said the investment should serve as a signal flare of optimism for those sacrificing the most during what he called this moment of greatest need, such as teachers in Syria's underground schools. He pointed to the financing gap which has left appeals for Syria, Turkey, Jordan and Iraq less than 50% funded, calling on the International Criminal Court to immediately investigate what he believes is a war crime perpetrated on a school in the Syrian town of Has on Wednesday in which 22 children died. He said $15 million would be allocated for Syrian youngsters straight away. He argued that a whole new approach was needed to help 30 million children displaced throughout the world, the largest number since the 1940s. We should now consider a new system for financing education in emergencies that is built on guaranteed funding and not a begging ball. For children, 2016 has been the year of fear. If 2017 is not to become another year of fear for the world's children, we must act now. 
The former British Prime Minister said that the $42 million was still not enough to satisfy the need of a lost generation of children, but he hoped it would prove to be a turning point. We have both the means and the knowledge to fulfil that most basic right to an education, said the envoy. And those were your headlines right here on Catholic View. You're still listening to Catholic View, a program produced and presented by Sheila Pirsch for Radio Veritas. Thank you very much for being here with me this Friday evening. Coming up next, we take a look at child soldiers. Families must be assisted in overcoming prejudices against child survivors of armed conflicts, in particular against women and girls who are victims of rape and in welcoming back children into the family fold. Those were the words of the Holy See's Permanent Observer Mission to the United Nations, Monsignor Simon Casas. In an address to the UN Security Council's open debate on children and armed conflict. According to Peace Direct, it is estimated that 250,000 children are fighting in wars all over the world. Recruited by force or lured by the false promise of an escape from poverty, they are living in a life no child should ever lead. Many children are recruited by force, stolen from their families and forced to fight. In some cases, children are made to kill their relatives so they can never return home. Others joined voluntarily, driven by poverty and the hope of a regular meal. Evidence suggests that child soldiers are active in at least 14 countries, that is Afghanistan, Burma, Central African Republic, Chad, Colombia, DR Congo, India, Iraq, Philippines, Somalia, South Sudan, Sudan, Thailand and Yemen. for the government as a policeman. A few years later, I heard he joined a rebel movement that was formed to fight for freedom. I didn't understand the politics behind all this because I was only a child. After a while, I saw the tension rising high between the Christian and the Muslim regime. We lost our possession. My mother, my mother's mother suffered depression. And because of this, I was forced to be a war child.
South Sudan radio campaign entitled Protecting Children is Everyone's Responsibility is part of the Children Not Soldiers global campaign aimed at ending the recruitment and use of children in government security forces in conflict by the end of 2016. In his radio message, South Sudan Defense Minister Kuol Mayang Juk spoke about the importance of protecting children from the impact of war. I am Lieutenant General Engineer Kuol Mayang Juk, the Minister of Defense of the Republic of South Sudan. I seize this opportunity to inform the public and those who are concerned about the misuse of the children. Children are future assets that have to be safeguarded, developed, so that they become leaders of their own country. Our laws stipulate that recruitment and use of children is a crime. Any soldier who recruits or uses children will be severely punished. I, as a Minister of Defense, ask anybody who has an information about recruitment of children has to inform me immediately. It is the responsibility of any citizen who sees that a child has been recruited into an army, I have to be informed. And I myself will move to take measures against that person who recruits the children. So it's a challenge to anybody after this. I should not be asked that there is there are children being recruited there, but somebody must tell me that children are being recruited here so that myself I go and arrest that situation. That's my message. Um, any mechanism that uh people who have an information can also give it to you i mean a way of giving an information to you as a minister there are so many there is a my telephone will be available and also we have in the SPLM the an office uh, focal point for children protection that office is already in the headquarters and will put such an office also in every unit of the army in every division, there will be an office for child child protection in the headquarters of a brigade and in the headquarters of a battalion. There will be an office for the protection of children. There will be established and there is an office to make sure that no children are uh, recruited into the army. Oh, Therefore, this... any citizen who sees that, whether he is a, a governor of a, of, a, of a state or commissioner of a county, are here tasked to inform me once they feel that or this. They have an evidence that children are being recruited in to the army. Those are the focal points. Um, this is happening obviously in the war zone areas. What would you tell the armed forces in the war zones? In the war zones they have to, well, the SPLA, which is the army of the Republic of South Sudan, is fighting rebellion and uh, not soldiers, and not, not civilians. And therefore, uh, our soldiers are tasked with the responsibility of taking care of or safeguarding the children, the women, the unarmed civilians. That is a task, an obligation of a soldier, defending his own people and country. There's no child that shall be recruited into the army. Well, there are some people, some other armed groups that came from the from Sudan that are yet to be integrated into the SPLM, I mean to the SPLA. Uh, a, a team has been sent to screen them and once the children, there are children found, those children shall be uh, taken out and, uh, and sent back to school or to their parents and to their schools. So that is the situation. In this regard, do you mean the David Yao Yaos and uh, the South Sudan Liberation Army? Yes. Uh, a committee is now on the way to uh, integrate the forces of uh, Cobra and if the children are found within the ranks then those children shall be removed and uh, be sent to schools. Um, apart from the child protection, um, the SPLM, the party and the SPLM in opposition and the G12, 
uh, they conducted a conference um, to help reconcile the party. Um, don't you think also it's good that uh, the army of the other side and uh, the, the national army, that is the SPLA, can also have such a conference to also help reconcile within themselves? The army... Uh, the, SPLM, the, the SPLA in opposition. The SPLA and, uh, has nothing to do with the, with the forces of the SPLM in opposition. That is a political decision. Once politi political decision is reached, then it will have to be implemented. So the SPLA does not go into negotiations with the army of the SPLM in opposition. Um, last weekend, there was also fighting. What do you say? Well, the SPLA will have the right, uh, reserve the right to defend itself and uh, they have been doing that and observing the cessation of hostilities and advise the SPLM in opposition to restrain their forces. If they don't, then there, there is a limit to anything. On Tuesday, 25th of October, armed groups in South Sudan released 144 children. The children were released by the rebel SPLA in opposition, led by former Vice President Rick Masha and the Cobra faction, which signed a peace deal with the government in 2014. child soldier Cabo Williams was forcefully recruited in Sierra Leone by the revolutionary United Front RUF rebels at the age of seven. Once rescued and reintegrated into his community with the support of the UN's Children's Fund UNICEF and partners back in 1994, Mr. Williams later earned a degree in literature and linguistics at Njala University. Today, Mr. Williams is writing a book about the importance of treating former child soldiers as humans and not as menaces to society. At this point in time, uh, former child soldiers are facing the most crucial part of their lives. You're looking at the terrorism that is going around the world and it makes it very difficult for governments and other groups to release these children. But I can tell you, if I, I can go through and succeed to become somebody, then definitely they today have a better thing. Because all they need is like, they need a better place to live. They need an education. They need a mother, or somebody that can at least regulate. So it's like, not that former child soldiers, they don't have a place. They have a place in society. If society is willing to forgive and accept us as people, rather than as menace in society. And another thing, our government has to be involved. The government, the community, everyone has to put hands on board. You mentioned that religion and education were two key aspects mm -hmm. to be reintegrated into society and, and to find a value system in your life. Um, could you describe maybe a little bit 
how those two things, religion and, and education, helped you? One, education helps me greatly because the time I was using to concentrate on violent stuff when I was a child, when I was with the armed group, when I found myself in the SOS Trains village, it's like I don't have that time anymore because I have the time to, I have to spend the time to solve my English assignment, my math assignment, so I won't have time to think about violence. Important and the religious aspect is like going to church or going to mosque, it's just like a counseling wherein the pastor or the imam will be administering about the good moral things that are acceptable in society and how we should treat ourselves. Bob Francis has often spoken about the importance of education, both at home and at school. In one of his talks, Pope Francis said to a group of teachers, school children, and their parents that education cannot be neutral. It is either positive or negative. Either it enriches or it impoverishes. Either it enables a person to grow or it lessens, even corrupts him. The mission of schools is to develop a sense of truth, of what is good and beautiful. And this occurs through a rich path made up of many ingredients. This is why there are so many subjects, because development is the result of different elements that act together and stimulate intelligence, knowledge, the emotions, the body, and so on. Those were the words of Pope Francis. Beatrice Ayuru is the founder of Lira Integrated School, whose mission is to educate impoverished children in northern Uganda. Miss Ayuru, who at age 17 was selling cassava for a living, believes that education is the answer to eradicate poverty. In this interview, Miss Ayuru speaks about how education has turned her life around, from being condemned by some as a useless person to becoming a successful entrepreneur. Miss Ayuru also explains why she thinks youth empowerment is crucial. The youth have the greater percentage of population in the country and when they are left at large without being supported, it is going to cause the economy, the entire world, more problems because the numbers are increasing every day. And there are very many ways that I'm glad can be can come up to support the youth and uh, one of it that we realize that is very important and which is the foundation of it is education because every child goes through school and if poverty can be eradicated through education giving the right curriculum to the child that is integrating entrepreneurship into education system so that learning which when a child is in school they start understanding the importance of making money through the subjects that are being taught, then they start getting to align their future with the subject that they're doing. So that it builds the morale. They get inspired more into education because they're seeing that there's hope for tomorrow. What is it that made you decide that, yes, I want to bring change to impoverished children in Uganda, what motivated you? The life that I went through as a girl child, I was tormented. I was not seen as any person useful in the community. Uh, it was unfortunate that maybe because I, I got pregnant at my early stage, early age, and uh, I was seen as a problem. And there's no hope for me because I am a girl. So I wanted to challenge that being a girl, being a woman and having education, having my education interrupted by pregnancy, which was through uh, 
pressures that were coming around my my life uh, it does not mean that I am a failure does not mean so I had seen already many young girls go through what I've gone through because I was rejected I was given words names of every kind so I went back to school and said I want to prove to those who saw me as a useless person that I am not useless. I have the brain like any other child, any boy, I can make it and I can change the lives of the people. So I just, after my first child, when I delivered, I was 17 years old, I just went back to challenge those who were fight, who fought me and thought that was the end of my life. And then I'd also grown um, in a very poor environment uh, with war affect, in a war affected area. And education system which was provided to us by then was completely useless. It was not giving me anything that could make me see any future. So I realized that if I can only have my own school built, I can handle can respond to all these challenges because the education system the bureaucracy is too long it's hard to address them what advice you can give to other girls out there especially in africa as a woman there are many challenges around us the society especially in our rural areas nobody will believe in a woman but not until you have made it then they'll say wow she is strong so it's only when we stand firm so I'm encouraging the girls that don't give up with any challenges around. Be it you have made a mistake to conceive at the early age or before you finish education, just go back to school. I did it and I made it. If it is about finances, go back and make money from the little things that you can do. Go back to school. Education is wealth. You'll never go wrong with education. What do you think the UN can do to bring change to impoverished children in Uganda and other countries in Africa. Getting on the ground through the government understanding of partnership and then work hand in hand with uh, the institutions that are on the ground. Why I'm saying this, I've seen this practically working for me. When we are, when an enterprise or an institution is working alone, it is very hard to grow. But when the UN come into place they have the national the unite the goals the sustainable goals that are looking at and then they help drive get to help you see what you are not seeing and then trying to put things in place to make them be more streamlined that are answering the questions the challenges today i believe the children are our future teach them well and let them lead the Show them all the beauty they possess inside Give them a sense of pride to make it easier Let the children's laughter remind us how we used to be And that brings me up to time. You've been listening to this Friday's edition of Catholic View right here on Radio Veritas. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back again on Tuesday at the same time. Until then, do have a blessed weekend. I'm Sheila Birch. God bless you and ciao, ciao. (laughs) 